Well, hey, today we are starting a new sermon series, and it's about money. So, you're welcome. Uh, we've addressed the elephant in the room, and you know all of you who are uncomfortable have gotten over that, but I, I want to explain a little bit of my rationale on why we're going to spend a month talking about money. And, and here's our goal. We have really simple goals for this sermon series. First one is we want all staff members here at Mount Tabor to get new Corvettes. Okay, and, and another thing is uh, we really want to make sure that we get the lobby tiled in Italian marble. And after that, if we still have some money left over, uh, we want to be able to get those Tiffany chandeliers for in here. Uh, we think that'll be really nice. Now, you know your, your preacher's joking with you this morning, uh, and I, I know, <laughs> I learned this week that, uh, that God didn't design me for the fancy life. I learned that because I don't know how to spell chandelier, and I spelled it so poorly that Google didn't even get my attempt, and it directed me away from chandelier even further. Our real goal for this sermon series is simple. We want to strengthen our relationships with God by looking at what the Bible has to say about money. We want to strengthen our relationships with God by looking at what the Bible has to say about money. It doesn't matter if you're a millionaire many times over. It doesn't matter if you're barely a thousandaire or if you're living check to check. Our goal for this sermon series is to strengthen our relationships with God by looking at what the Bible has to say about money. And, and this isn't something that I've decided is important. This isn't something that came up at a board meeting as we looked over the budget and said, we need to talk about giving, get more people here. No, this isn't something that we've decided is important. This is something that the Bible says is important. Did you know that one in every ten verses in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, has to do with money? Do you know that there are more than 2,000 verses on money in the Bible? Let's compare that with 500 verses on faith and less than 500 verses that talk about prayer. Well, Tony, you're not saying that money is more important than faith, are you? Not at all. Not at all. What I am saying is that the Bible devotes a lot of attention to money, so we should devote some attention to money. We're going to start our series in Matthew 25. This is a parable that Jesus tells about a master who goes away on a long journey, and he leaves three of his servants with some money. Uh, if you're a guest here this morning, first of all, uh, I want to say welcome. We are glad you're here. Second, in your bulletin, you're going to find a fill-in-the-blank sermon outline. That's going to help you track with me, take some notes, get some key concepts. It also helps me to stay focused on where we're going uh, because you appreciate that because you have lunch plans. Uh, lastly, uh, if you have your own Bible and you want to open up to that, I'm so grateful. Uh, but I'm going to have all the text up here on the screen for you. Uh, so feel free to follow along up here. And if you notice that your translation reads a little bit differently than what I've got up on the screen, uh, I preach from the New Living Translation, um, so that's just that difference there. And if you don't have your own Bible, uh, once you find me after service, I would love to give you your own Bible. On one condition, though, I give you your own Bible if you'll read it, okay? I don't want to give you a paperweight, I want to give you a Bible. So, Matthew chapter 25, starting in verse 14. Here's what Jesus says. He says, again, the kingdom of heaven can be illustrated by, and, and we've got to stop here for just a second. Um, we've read 
precisely seven words, and we're stopping, but that's going to be okay. Uh, We have got to stop here. This opening phrase lets us know that this parable is connected to what comes before it. And what comes before it is the parable of the ten bridesmaids. And I want to give you the Cliff Notes version of that this morning. Uh, and, And here's the parable of the ten bridesmaids. Be ready because we don't know when Jesus is coming back. Be ready because we don't know when Jesus is coming back. So this parable takes that point and it builds on it by teaching us how to be ready in regard to handling the resources that we've been entrusted with. So, Again, the kingdom of heaven can be illustrated by the story of a man going on a long trip. He called together his servants and entrusted his money to them while he was gone. He gave five bags of silver to one, two bags of silver to another, and one bag of silver to the last, dividing it in proportion to their abilities. He then left on his trip. Now, in the first century, this is a common practice. A master goes on a long trip and he leaves money uh, with trusted servants. This is a common practice. Everybody in Jesus' original audience would have understood what Jesus is talking about here. There's a master. He's obviously quite wealthy, so wealthy, in fact, that maybe he has business interest in another region or more probably another country entirely. And that's certainly familiar to us, right? We, we think of a successful businessman in a gray suit. He, he flies first class, and as soon as they reach cruising altitude, he opens up his laptop and is running his empire from there. And as soon as he gets off the plane, he opens up his cell phone and he continues to control his business interests. This guy, the master in this parable, he didn't travel united. He rode a horse. And if he needed to talk to his servants, he didn't pick up a phone. He didn't even have Western Union to send a telegram. When he left, he was trusting his servants. Look at how Jesus words this. He says he called together his servants and entrusted his money to them while he was gone. Everybody say entrusted. This verse teaches us something critical. You ready? The money isn't ours. The money isn't ours. If we, if we take this parable and we look at where we belong in this parable, we're not the master. We're the servants. And God has entrusted each of us with a set amount of resources. The money isn't ours. It's God. And we're just taking care of it for Him. God has entrusted His money to us. I'm going to give you an example. Let's say that on the way to church this morning, I get stopped by a really kind church member. We will call her Ann. And Ann says, hey, I've got $1,000 in cash here. And I've just been really convicted about the fact that you need to give this to somebody who could use some help right now. I say, wow, that's fantastic. Thank you so much, Ann. That's really great. How would you feel... How would you feel if I gave that money uh, to somebody who recently had a house fire? That'd be appropriate, right? Let me give you another example. How would you feel if I'm sitting in my office after church and all of a sudden that money starts getting real heavy in my pocket? You know, money has a tendency to do that, right? If it sits there long enough, it starts to burn holes in your pockets. You've got to spend it before that happens. So I'm sitting in my office after church and I get to thinking to myself, I say, you know, this is Super Bowl Sunday. I'm going to watch the game tonight. I can't say Super Bowl. Big game. 
I'm going to watch the game tonight, and it would be awful nice to have a new TV to watch it on. A lot of TVs are on sale this week. A real nice TV for $1,000, nicer than I could normally afford. Maybe I ought to spend that $1,000 on me. And so I go to Walmart and I buy a big, I don't know how big of a TV it would get for $1,000, but I buy a big TV, so big that i got to have somebody help me, and, and you know, somebody's got a big truck come and pick it up at the store with me. How would you feel if I spent the $1,000 on a TV? A little different, right? You see, that money's been entrusted to me to do something specific, and all of the sudden... I'm doing something selfish. You're going, okay. I I see where you're at. I see a couple of looks on your faces, and I can interpret it. You're going, okay, Tony, point taken. But my question is this. What's the difference between my money, the money that I've earned, and the money that God has entrusted to me? That's a great question. I'm glad you asked that. Uh, Real easy answer. Think about all the money you have, bank accounts, IRAs, stocks, bonds, assets, coffee cans in your backyard. Think about all of that and then realize that that belongs to God and he's just entrusted it to you. Some of you don't look convinced. Let me read you. Here's my proof. Ready? The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. The world and all its people belong to him. You see that word everything right there? Right there in the beginning, the first line of that verse? You see that word everything? Go ahead and raise your hand when you see that word. You know what it means? It's a really technical Bible word. You're going to be so impressed with me when I tell you what it means. That word everything there means all the everythings everywhere. Nothing is excluded. So if you want to look at this passage and say, is the money in my bank mine or is it God's? We've got to ask yourself, is my bank on earth? Right? Is my IRA earth-based? Is my farm on this planet? Then yes, it belongs to God. And you've been entrusted with it by our Master. And all of a sudden the question changes from what am I going to do with my money to what am I going to do with the money God has entrusted to me. Jesus gives us two options in this parable. He says, the servant who received the five bags of silver began to invest the money and earned five more. The servant with the two bags of silver also went to work and earned two more, but the servant who received the one bag of silver dug a hole in the ground and hid the master's money. What are we going to do with the money that God has entrusted to us? Jesus says we've got two examples We can be fearless or we can be safe. We can be fearless or we can be safe. Let's look at those first two servants. They have five bags of silver and two bags of silver respectively. Technical term for what they have is a talent. It's a huge sum of money. Best way to think of that is 20 years worth of wages. And we'll just say you make $12 an hour. It's a pretty good wage. $12 an hour is about a half a million dollars over the course of 20 years. So the first guy gets 100 years wages or $2.5 million. The second guy gets 40 years wages or a million dollars. And I want you to go ahead and interact with me just a little bit. Make sure you're still with me. Okay? Uh, what do these two do with the money that the master entrusts with them? Okay, yeah, they, they go to the market, they invest, right? Okay, good. Yeah, they, 
Yeah, we're all on the same page here. They put the money to work. These two guys double the money. And I know what you're thinking here. I want to to again meet you at your objections this morning. You're going, this guy, these two guys are a lot like the guy who answered the phone in the clubhouse. You ever hear about the guy who answered the phone in the clubhouse? So this guy, he's going golfing with his buddies one day, and after they finish the 18th hole, they're sitting in the clubhouse, they're untying their golf shoes, and you know they're just chit-chatting, and the phone rings. Hello? Honey, I'm at the Mercedes-Benz dealership, and the man here says he can get a one-year-old car. It only has 5,000 miles on it, and he'd be willing to do it for 93,000. It's an S55 AMG. What do you think, honey? And the man pauses for a second, and he thinks about it. With a smile on his face, he says, honey, no. No, you go back to that salesman and tell him you want a brand new one with every bell, every whistle, every option, and it doesn't matter what it costs because anything for you. Oh, honey, thank you so much. And he hangs up the phone and he looks at his buddies and he says, hey, anybody have any idea whose phone this is? (laughs) See, that's what you're thinking about these two servants, isn't it? You're going, it's really easy to spend someone else's money. It's easy to be reckless with somebody else's money. I'm going to tell you, you got it wrong. These two aren't stupid. You don't double two and a half million dollars by being stupid or reckless or lucky. These guys didn't invest their master's money in circus peanuts. They were shrewd businessmen. They were shrewd businessmen. And the text tells us this, ready? He gave five bags of silver to one, two bags of silver to another, and one bag of silver to the last, dividing it in proportion to their abilities. This master is leaving them a million and two and a half million dollars respectively. He knows that these guys aren't stupid. He knows that they're not going to get caught up in a get-rich-quick scheme. They aren't going to buy oceanfront property in Arizona. These men are going to put their master's money to work. Now let's think about this a little bit. These two guys put the master's money to work and and they got a return on investment. Whenever you invest, you want an ROI. You want a return on your investment. And for us, it's pretty simple. For, For these two, it's pretty simple. The master said, here's the money, and he expected a return. And a good return, I think we'd all be pretty pleased if our money doubled. When you invest, you want a return. But But the earth and everything in it already belongs to God. So what kind of a return on his investment is God looking for? If we look at what comes immediately after this parable, I think it gives us a pretty good answer. Listen to this. When the Son of Man comes in His glory and all the angels with Him, then He will sit upon His glorious throne and all the nations will be gathered in His presence and He will separate the people as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will place the sheep at His right hand and the goats at His left. In other words, let me tell you what's going on here. When the Master comes back and He evaluates where His resources have been invested, He's going to separate good return from bad. Bad return. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you fed me. 
I was thirsty, and you gave me a drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me into your home. I was naked, and you gave me clothing. I was sick, and you cared for me. I was in prison, and you visited me. Here's what Jesus is saying. The best thing you can do with the resources God has entrusted you is invest in people. Invest in people. That's what we're about here. That's what we're about at Mount Tabor. We want to invest in people so that they might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. We want to invest in people so that we can see communities changed by Christ. Jesus says the best thing you can do with God's resources is invest in people. And that's what we want to be about. Let's take a look at the third servant now for a little bit of contrast. But the servant who received the one bag of silver dug a hole in the ground and hid the master's money. I can fairly well see this third servant. I don't know about you. He's looking over at the other two as they're in the market that first day and he sees the decisions that they're making with the master's money and he thinks, you fools. You fools. You're going you're gonna to ruin our master's house. I'm going to make sure that he at least has something to come back to. So he buries the money. By the way, in the ancient world, this was considered the safest thing to do with your investment. Do you know that? We get down on this third servant pretty hard and we think, you are scared and you're weak and you're a sissy boy. But in the ancient world, this third servant did the admirable thing. The first two were the reckless ones according to culture. This third guy did the safest thing possible. Money was protected from robbers and it was protected from bad investments alike. It was safe. As long as you can remember where it's buried, you're in good shape. This wasn't some terribly unthinkable act. This was the safe decision and it would have been respected culturally. In fact, we'll go a step further. The first two servants would have been shocking and this third servant would have been comforting. That's how the first century mind would have worked, but here's something we have to understand. The kingdom of heaven isn't like the kingdoms of this world. You ready? The kingdom of heaven isn't like the kingdoms of this world. What's different? Our king! Our king is different. We don't need to play it safe because our king is strong. So this first guy doubles the money, and the second guy doubles the money, and this third guy plays it safe. Let's see how the master reacts to these three guys. After a long time, their master returned from his trip, and he called them to give an account of how they had used his money. And the servant to whom he had entrusted the five bags of silver came forward with five more, I suspect with a little bit of hop in his step, and he said, Master, you gave me five bags of silver to invest, and look, I've earned five more. And the master was full of praise. He said, well done, my good and faithful servant. You've been faithful in handling the small amount, so now I'm going to give you many more responsibilities. Let's go celebrate together. 
And the servant who received the two bags of silver came forward and said again, I think with a a little bit of a hop in his step, and he said, Master, you've entrusted two bags of silver to me to invest, and I've earned two more. And the master said, I think it's very similar to what we just read. The master said, well done, my good and faithful servant. You've been faithful in handling this small amount, so now I will give you many more responsibilities. Let's celebrate together. And then the servant with the one bag of silver came forward. And I don't think he had a hop in his step. He said, Master, I knew you were a harsh man. You harvest crops where you didn't plant, and you gather crops where you didn't cultivate. And I was, I was afraid that I would lose your money, so I hid it in the earth. Look, here's your money back. But the master replied, You wicked and lazy servant. If you knew I harvested crops that I didn't plant and gathered crops I didn't cultivate, why didn't you deposit my money in the bank? At least I could have gotten some interest on it. Then he ordered, take the money from this servant and give it to the one who has ten bags of silver. To those who have been given, even more will be given and they will have an abundance. But to those who do nothing, even what little they have will be taken away. Now throw this useless servant into outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. I know what you're thinking. You're going, I get why the master is pleased with the first two. He doubled their investment, right? He took it from, those two took it from three and a half million dollars to seven million dollars. I get why the master is pleased with them, but why is he so hard on this third guy? He didn't do anything. He didn't do anything. He didn't do anything. There's a real danger here for churches, especially a church as fantastic as this one. We have really great resources and opportunities here. There are fantastic people who serve the Lord well, and it's nice here, and it's really easy to say, let's not get too risky. Let's just, let's just bury it in the ground. Let's protect what we've got. Let's preserve this because it's good. And you know what burying the treasure in the ground is all about? It's about safety. If we play it safe, what we're saying is the thing I value the most is safety. Because what did Jesus say? Where your treasure is, there your what? There your heart will be also. Is our treasure safety or is it Jesus? So what do we do with this money that God has entrusted to us? The answer isn't play it safe. See, there's this dangerous misconception about Christianity, and it comes from the words we use. How many of you have ever heard somebody say, I got saved? I got saved. I've even described myself that way. You've probably talked about yourself that way. Sometimes we think, though, that when we get saved, we get safe, and nothing could be further from the truth. I want you to think about Christianity in general for a second. Who started it? Go ahead, who started This isn't a trick question. Who started it? Yeah, Jesus. Right? We call it Christianity because he's the Christ. And what happened to Jesus? Go ahead. Yeah, he was crucified. Here's the deal about crucifixion. It wasn't just an execution. It was an example. It was capital punishment reserved for the worst criminals, and, and they would be hung on the side of the major roads so that everyone leaving or entering the town could see this is what happens if you try to do what this guy did. 
This is what will happen if you try to be a follower of this guy. Nothing about Christianity is safe. Not even our finances. Can I sum up this parable for you? Just a few short words. Here we go. God doesn't need a safe bet. He needs fearless servants. God doesn't need a safe bet. He needs fearless servants. If you remember one thing I say today, make it that. God doesn't need a safe bet. He is a safe bet. He upholds all things by His powerful Word. He is from everlasting to everlasting, and the gates of Hades will not destroy His church. God doesn't need a safe bet. He needs fearless servants. Here's a principle for you. Ready? Here's a principle for you. God's kingdom cannot crumble at a servant's hands, but it can grow. God's kingdom can't crumble at a servant's hands, but it can grow. I want you to think about that today. God doesn't need a safe bed. He needs fearless servants. And the only way to be fearless is to trust God. Trust him with your life, with your future, with your plans, and yeah, even with the resources that you've been entrusted with. So here's the thing about money. It has this incredible ability to strengthen our relationship with God. The whole Bible says you can trust God. That's not a new message, right? You can, you can start at the very beginning and read to the very end, and you're going to hear consistently, you can trust God, you can trust God, you can trust God. The Bible says that, and we say amen when we can hear that, but money answers the question, do you? Do you trust God? What you do with your money is going to say yes or no for you. And I want to challenge you with something this month. I want to challenge you to commit to giving this month. I know that some of you do. I want to challenge you to give extra this month. And I know that some of you don't. I want to challenge you to begin. I want to challenge you to begin giving this month. The Bible says that 10% is a good place to start on that. 10% of the money that you bring home, that's an incredible amount of money, right? You didn't budget for that, and I know that money's tight. I know that you can't go to the electric company and say, hey, I, uh, I'm going to need a discount on my electric bill. I've started giving to church. I know that you can't do that. And then if you begin to give, you're going to have to reshuffle your finances. But I'm asking you to give anyway, because I know that when you give in a way that stretches you, it will help you see Jesus more clearly. Here's what I mean. If the money we give is what we can spare, we don't have to think about God. If the money we give is money we can spare, we don't have to think about God. But if the money we give affects our budgets, all of a sudden, it takes faith to do it. And that's what we want for all of us. There's no question that money was an important topic in Jesus' ministry. He talked about money more than he talked about heaven and hell combined. The reason he did it is because Jesus knew that where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Giving is where we say my treasure is in heaven. So will you commit to giving this month? Will you live this month as a fearless servant? Will you give not because we want your money, but because we'll help you invest in people so that we can see communities changed by Christ? Let's pray.